I look at the failure as the middle point and look at the opportunities that then come off the failure. And that's how I find the High Rocks campaign because sometimes the actual failure can spark an idea in itself. Hello and welcome to Founder Stories, the podcast for small business owners. I'm your host, Simon Kalou, and I created this show not only to motivate and inspire, but to give you actionable strategies to take back into your business, shortcutting your route to success. Each week, I'll sit down with real and relatable business owners, uncovering how they've created a business that gives them freedom, creates impact, and makes money. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Founder Stories. Super excited today because I have the CEO and co-founder of my coach, Mr. Ben Holdens, also a very good friend of mine, had the pleasure of going to his wedding this year. And we've had a trip as well to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, which was eventful. We Maybe we'll touch on that. <laughs> we first met when our mutual friend, Dan, introduced us. Um, and we've been good friends ever since. I think we just clicked from the first time that we met. We share, I would say, very similar standards and values. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for joining me. I'll let you introduce yourself. You're doing more than being the CEO of my coach. So I guess a good place to start would be what you're up to right now. And then we can reverse a bit and mm-hmm. try and unpack for people that are listening. For this one, I'm not going to go right to the start because I think we could literally do so many episodes. If we started at the start of your journey when you were 16 right through to now, it's going to end up being a 10-hour podcast because there's genuinely so many that I know because obviously we're friends. Mm-hmm struggles hurdles you know lessons that people could get from your life and i do want to dig into that but for today i want to focus on your transition from pt to basically i mean almost dominating the online fitness space having an app with a global marketplace having an amazing community that you've built up being a brand ambassador for multiple well-known brands i'm not sure if i'm allowed to mention them on here so i'll let you do that um you know partnering with hydrox is it hydrox hydrox that's the the common thing i don't know what everybody calls it hydrox must just be like a (laughs) natural thing you want to do hydrox and so that shift from from pt and just coaching people physically in a gym one-to-one to doing all these things you're doing now is just incredible and one of the things that a lot of people want to do, but they've got no idea where to start. So let's park that for a minute. Just tell us what you're up to right now. What businesses do you run? You know, how do you help people? And then we'll go from there. I felt like that was going to be part of, you're going to roll the red book out there. Like, on a, what's the show where they bring out the red book? Like, this is your life. <laughs> what's that show? Was that Michael Parkinson? Rest, yeah, yeah, Parkinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was unreal, you know. If you want to listen to anyone, he's a king of podcasting. Yeah, he's, he's a goat, mate. He's yeah. the goat. But right now I'm, I'm drinking... This strange coffee with mushroom extract in that you've yeah. You've so I've given in. Ben for the first time something from Space Goods, which I've been trying to try and reduce my overall caffeine intake. It's got five different mushrooms in there. I'm not going to tell you whether so they're this, psychedelic this is, or this not. This is like ordering a mocktail in a bar and adding vodka to it because you're supposed to lower your caffeine intake, but we've added coffee to it anyway. So. It's a little bit of caffeine and five different mushrooms. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, but apart from that, right now. I, I suppose a broad, broad overarching view of what I'm doing is day to day, my coach, uh, one of our big 
overarching, I suppose, ethos is we're trying to unite the running and lifting community. Online. What is my coach? So I don't know. It's a health and fitness service. We offer personal training online, yeah. which is semi-independent. So it's a subscription-based app where people can sign up to get coaching within the health and wellness space. We label it as essentially a personal trainer in your pocket. Because it's not just one of the apps that, which is fine for some people, but it's not just one of the apps where you download essentially a PDF housed inside inside. Yeah, I think that's actually that's, coaching, that, right? That's very much the old school mentality. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you tell people what you're selling. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with selling something which is even more independent as long as the consumer is aware of what they're buying. Yeah. With our application, it's, it's a little bit more in depth just because people are getting full 12-week programs with it. They're getting a macro and calorie program to run alongside it. We do a lot of stuff with our community. So we do a lot of offline events. We do lives twice a week with our online community. And then we do a kind of semi-independent check-in with them as well, once per week. And then we run challenges with, which are for accountability and stuff like that as well. So there's, there's quite a few more elements that I think me and Lucy inject in terms of our personality within the community to keep that strong. Because I think that's probably one of our being one of our main selling points and i said the most positive feedback on is the, the community and just the amount of energy and nurturing that we give that and i think that's been one of the reasons why we've been able to be successful in quite a saturated market yeah and i think sometimes if people take something online i know kira my wife is following one of lucy's programs in the my coach app she loves it and one of the big differences between a lower ticket maybe program where you're just downloading a pdf is ultimately you're still going to the gym and doing the program and you're on your own mm -hmm. so there's risk there because you're you have the potential of executing movements in a way that could damage you you don't have anyone to talk to if you are dealing with an injury or lack of motivation mm -hmm. or something like that and there's no community aspect whereas you've got an online community and in-person events mm -hmm. so by becoming a part of the community like with kiran you know, if you're remote working and you're working from home, the big difficulty there is lack of connection. You might be more productive, but you don't have any human face-to-face -face connection. You don't feel part of something, part of a journey that's bigger than yourself. So I think that's really powerful. I think a lot of people realized that through COVID though as well, didn't they? It became apparent that like, oh, everyone wants, wants to work at home, but then it's like, you really get a gauge of how much you miss that social element of it, that communication, that being able to even just not see people, but speak to people on a regular yeah. basis is a, is a big thing. And I think community in a lot of businesses has become a very sexy word now. A lot of people throw it around, but a lot of the time it doesn't have a lot of substance or meaning. And they don't really realize, I think these big corporations, why they're doing it. They're just doing it because they see it as a box ticking exercise like being carbon neutral. Yeah. They don't really believe in saving the environment. It's just a, another form of marketing for them. Yeah. But really the community is more than just a marketing exercise. It's to add more value to your customer. Yeah, I think what you see with brands now that struggle to get personality or have community, what they'll they'll do a lot of time is use influencer marketing to plug other people's communities into theirs. But sometimes it can still feel a little bit lackluster just because you're plugging lots of different communities and other people that have almost been forced into a space, not sort of like a magnet been pulled into that space by yeah. and the way that i often refer to that is like when you're building a community and i still go back to this now is i think i mentioned this in the presentation at before max was like like a campfire and what you use to start that fire the wood that you put on to build it 
is a big building block in what people will take away from your ethos of your community and your mm. wider message. Because once you get that right, it's just a case of continuing to put logs on the fire. So each week we'll do the lives, we'll do check-ins, we'll do Q and A's, we'll do form feedbacks. And that's essentially just me putting another log on the fire to keep that fire burning. But yep. it's the community that have come around the campfire who understand the message and that are singing the songs and that show up every day. They're the ones that make sure that it's still heard and seen by other people. I don't have to do that as much anymore because mm. they have already bought into the brand and the message. And they're the ones that now continue to sell to other people who are kind of on the fringes of the community. Yeah, so you have this group of raving. I think it's Kevin, someone wrote a story about... Raving fans. Ju- yeah. Just have was either 100 or 1,000 raving fans. And once you've done that, you know, you don't need to do any marketing because if you are genuinely what Tony Robbins calls delivering massive value to your clients, they will talk to you. Like literally on every podcast I mentioned Tony Robbins because I'm a raving fan of Tony Robbins. And so that is what happens. And I always say, if you're not getting referrals and you're not growing from your own community, you're not delivering massive value to your clients. So my coach is then just getting back a bit for people that aren't familiar with it. If you're going to the gym and you're training, your options traditionally would be get a PT who does in-person coaching or go and download one of these apps and follow a PDF or a program or get an online coach, which might be 150, 200, 250 pound a month to write you a bespoke program but if you're not competing and you're not, you know, you're a person who wants to be fit and look great and be confident, but it's not your profession or you're not taking it uber seriously, it's part of your life. My coach price point would sit between one-to-one coaching and a PDF, right? Yeah. But actually you could get the value of personal coaching. So it's for someone that wants to do what? Get in better shape, get fitter. Like what, how do you, how does it actually help you? Yeah, so I mean, Personal training will always have its place, I think, on the gym floor, but there's going to be a, a point in which people will be competent enough on the gym floor with what they're doing, and then they just want to move into something which has structure and accountability, such as a program to follow, which is what we bring with personality. And of course, there's there's people who want the one-to-one service and have that professional program, and like you've, yeah. you're involved in at the moment. And there's, there's certain people who will want that, but there's certain people who just want to be able to go to the gym, have their program in front of them, keep accountable, follow it. And also, we've built out a, f- a full video exercise library as well, which is delivered by me and Lucy. Yeah. So you, you still get that personal element in that way. But it's for those people who have either come away from personal training on the gym floor who are paying £40 for one hour. Yeah. Um, or those type of people who don't want to pay £200 a month for coaching. Yeah. So that it's that gap in between of, of sort of people who want to have that accountability and structure and want to get in shape. And also a lot of our audience tend to be people who've been going to the gym for a while and want mm. to try something different in a form of maybe running, but yep. don't quite know how to either make that transition or create that synergy between the two different running, types of training. and strength, and yeah. power, which is, I listen a lot to Peter Atia. He's great, yeah. You know, like his book summarized, if you want to live a long life, but be healthy for as long as possible, so still at 100, be running around with your great grandkids throwing balls, which is possible if you've got health span, not just lifespan. Yeah. You need to be strong to retain as much muscle as possible. You need to be stable. So having core stability and just more than core stability, but be have a stable base. Be fit in zone two, so longer duration cardio, and be fit in a VO2 max test, which is your VO2 short, max is your ultimate intense, right? And all of that 
if you try and do that yourself without someone writing a program for you, it's going to be time consuming and really difficult. And you end up, I see so many people going to, when I go to David Lloyd, the commercial gym that I'll use and I'll take the kids and we'll play tennis and things like that. Who've been literally going to that gym since I moved to Solihull for the last five years and look exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So there's no progression, right? Because they're just going and just doing their own thing and making it up as they go along. Whereas a form of, it doesn't have to be really specific religious linear progression, but just having a program that you follow allows you to make improvements. And, you know, people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. And if you follow a structured program for 10 years, the difference between you 10 years ago and you now could be incredible, right? Yeah. Is, is Peter Atia the guy who also talks about the reverse engineering of where you want your end goals to be in terms yeah, of exactly, life yeah. longevity? Because yeah. What even, do you want to do when you're 70? Yeah, yeah, we were speaking about this with business before. And I think sometimes, unless you know what that bigger picture production is by standing back and having context, it's difficult to map out where that's going to be. I'm sure it was Peter Atia who was talking about he's a big fan of of also traveling and stuff as well. It yeah. might have been a different guy from America. I remember Chris Williams from one of my friends had him on as a guest recently and he was he was speaking about the way that he even approaches holidays. And he was one of the guys who loved doing those trips around Europe, you know, the trains and you yeah, stop yeah. off and look at the city. Interrailing, cities. yeah. Interrailing, yeah. Which sounds a bit boffany, I think, to some people, especially <laughs> if you're not of that certain age. But he was speaking about how he's even putting that on the back burner with his wife, even yeah. though he really enjoys it. Because he was thinking about, right, I can do these interrailing trips and explore Europe, or I can get off my horse and walk around whilst I have the ability to still trek up hills, trek up mountains, yeah. and put the interrailing on the back burner of when I won't have as much use of my legs, yeah. and I won't be as capable and as able. Yeah. So it's also about prioritizing the things that you can do now yeah. versus the things that you're going to be able to do when you get older to that point where you won't have the ability to still mentally and physically apply yourself to those activities. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point because... If you're struggling with something and you have uh, you know, a routine where you go to the gym yourself or you follow just a PDF you've downloaded, you have nowhere to go to say, well, do you know what? I'm following this program, but I'm 50 now and I'm really struggling with X, Y, and Z. I think that's, that's super cool. And so also you are a brand ambassador mm -hmm. for a couple of brands as well. And has that come about? Do you think, I know that you're really passionate about putting out content that isn't at all curated for people to take action. Like it's not a reel with a sales pitch at the end. It's mm -hmm. just you like creating either entertaining or educational content for a community that might not even be in a position to be able to afford to be part of the My Coach community, right? Yeah. That's important to you. I think I probably don't, <laughs> I probably don't myself put as many CTAs as I should with stuff. But I just enjoy making content and enjoy providing value to the community that I've got. I think like I struggled with the content element a little bit at first because I was always business owner before I was content creator. And Lucy's yeah. kind of come into the business with my partner and she was a lot more forward facing than I was. And she yeah. kind of dragged me into that element of, of it as well. I, I, I love doing it now. I really enjoy doing it. Um, I think it's something that I'll always do. And I think just as part of my journey of always creating value for a consumer and building that community has then probably made brands like MyProtein, Gymshark, Fabletics uh, aware of my presence. Yeah, I think because I've not sold out and done things which some 
influencers would do yeah. and tarnished my own personal brand. And jumped on trends, right? You, yeah. Your content is always, if you look back at your content two or three years ago, it's still you and your personality. Yeah. It's not a trend then versus a trend now. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I don't think there's anything wrong with sometimes saying things that are wrong or have been wrong as long as you're willing to accept those facts or perhaps your opinion has, has pivoted over the years you've become yep. more experienced because i think that's something that we're, we're scared to do but i think anything that i've put out i've not regretted which i think some people will fall into the the category of doing i think that's why i've been able to to work with some cool brands along the way that have helped me push my message out to more people but then also help plugged their communities into our communities like for example this weekend we're running a, a micro to times gym shark event yeah at the lifting club and again that's another opportunity for us to pull our community together yeah and run an in-person event and get everyone meeting each other again yeah which is incredible because you know my coach is still a scaling up business it's not a gym shark you know a global yeah, billion no dollar brand but associating yourself with them like grow factor does certain things with certain brands it elevates you and allows you to access. And if your genuine thing, like I think it was last week, I was watching a, a training, sales and marketing training, something clicked in me. I've always been really good at sales and sales calls and marketing. And actually the training is all about find a price point and find a product that you genuinely believe in. And, and then you will be able to sell easily because you actually genuinely believe if someone becomes a growth factor client or a my coach client, their life will be better. Yeah. You're not just trying to sell something to make money. So I think where you're connected with brands that also have that ethos, right? It's not all about money. You know, uh, the founder of uh, Gymshark, Ben, what's his name? Francis. When he started the business, it was about making a difference in the fitness world and giving people something, a brand to associate with that didn't exist before. That wasn't this big Reebok, Nike and all mm-hmm. these things. So if you have aligned values in your partner, partnerships are so massive in business for sure. And you're also still coaching people on a one-to-one basis, right? Which mm-hmm. must just be out of pure enjoyment because you don't need the money I think, for that, do you? I think, but I've spoke about this before. I think once I've sold my business or when I've retired or whatever I'm doing, I think I'll keep like five to 10 clients on and I'll probably personal tra- train them face-to-face and just take the money to, money and give it to chari- charity. And that's just what, for the enjoyment? Because I enjoy training people. Yeah. I, enjoy yeah. The, yeah. I enjoy the communication that I get from a one-to-one experience. And I enjoy helping people. Mm. So the fact that I wouldn't need finance or money would mean that I still, even though it may seem altru- an altruistic thing to do, I still selfishly get something from it because I yeah. get that enjoyment. And that you enjoy I, your craft, right? I yeah. don't do any direct client work. But if a client has a need... Or there's a specific client that I like, or I'd like to get involved with that project. I'll still do certain bits each week because I enjoy accounting and numbers and financial planning and helping people and exiting businesses and talking to potential investors and all these other mm. higher level, but still more interesting and related things. I don't yeah. want to do bookkeeping and be coding transactions yeah, yeah. and all of that stuff, but I still want to be involved in the business, not just doing sales and marketing. Because yeah, it's those comms, isn't it, that you get? Yeah, like I did engineering at university, right? I went into business because I enjoyed business. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, how do you take an idea and turn it into a something that makes money, is sustainable in the long term and gives clients value? Just rewinding then, like I think it's pretty straightforward to become a PT. You go do your level one, level two, whatever it is. You go join a gym, you work in the gym, you walk around, you talk to people, you slowly pick up clients. 
or they give you clients if you're at a David Lloyd or somewhere else. How the heck, how do you transition from an in-person PT to running and owning an app, which is more than an app, but let's call it an app because you do download it in the, in the app yeah, store, right? An app and community, which is global and has tens of thousands of, of, of members in the community. I think the, the difficult thing about becoming a personal trainer is that you're really under-equipped to run a business yeah, because you're just equipped to meet a client, take them through a training session, say bye and then move on to the next one. Yeah, there's no training in the PT around how do you yeah. attract a client, convert a client, deliver to a client, deal with your finances, legals, contracts, yeah. scaling. Yeah, exactly, because there's so many things it, that right? become a part of it. You've got to look after your accounts. You've got to be good at uh, digital marketing. You've got to be good at email marketing. You've got yep. to be good at running uh, a management of the clients, uh, a timetable for the clients, delivering the sessions. Understand your legals, yep. contractual obligations, haven't got a client that's happy, you've, injured a client in a training session, yeah. wasn't your fault, but were you set up in the right way to cover yourself? Yeah, there's so much, right? I think when I was first going into this field, I've never planned to just do one-to-one -one personal training or just do work on a one-to-one -one basis, I think, because I always had that bigger picture production going into it, and I always knew what, what my why was, mm. which is to be able to help as many people as possible, not just the direct consumer on a gym floor. It was always pretty simple for me in terms of the path. Not that it's been simple to get there, but it was, I had a clear vision of what I wanted so to you do. You knew that you wanted to create a platform, that something, a platform that allowed you to put out programming and advice to more in, on a group basis, right? Yeah, and I always knew that what my why was, not just the what, because the what is, well, we create a product, it's good, it helps pe people get coached, and yeah. then we go, this is a great product, you buy it. Yeah. Whereas like the the why was that we're gonna create the best product. We're gonna bring the lifting and running community together. Yeah. And they'll be able to then go off and do things independently on their own, not as coaching forever. Yeah. And us then selling the why to people rather than just the what, I think is what has really helped us scale as a community as well, because people understand the message of what we're delivering, not just yeah. the product. Um. But even when I first started as a PT, I jumped on Facebook ads really quickly. Yeah. And the way that I scaled away from the one-to-one -one is, right, okay, I need to make this much money in yeah. order to fund the application. I don't want to go and get it done by a third party. Okay, so you've already had that idea, I want to do an app, right? Yeah. Because that's the ultimate way to reach people. You've then decided, I can only make 10 grand a month or whatever it is in My time, PT. Yeah. So then I need to go into online coaching because then I could have 100, 150 clients paying me 200 pound a month, whatever yeah. it is. You've then worked out yourself by basically just sitting down and researching, I guess, problem solving. A lot of, lot of trial and error as well. Yeah, which people aren't willing to do a lot of the time now. They want the answers so quickly, but actually the answers are there. It's just a question of how many times you want to bang your head against the wall until you actually break the wall and yeah. find the answer. So you found the answer. You've got Facebook ads in order to scale up the online. And then rather than driving around in a supercar and spending all your money on flash designer clothes, you're putting that money back into the development of this app project. Yeah. So is this, because you and Lucy run the business now, right? Yes. Was this your idea that you then brought to her and then she got on board with? It was a funny story with Lucy. So Lucy's my, not only my business partner, but it's now my wife as well. So I first started <laughs> the business and it's funny you should bring like supercars and stuff because the way in which I scaled was, yeah, I knew, I knew what I'd have to put into the app. So at first is working one-to-one -one gym floor. Time becomes 
an asset which I no longer have as much anymore. So I can't add more clients to go into the one-to-one online training space where I can build that up more. But even that's got a a cap with it. Yeah. There's only so much time I can sell with that. Yeah, and eventually there's also a cap I see a lot with online trainers and just they just get tired. Yeah, you got you get burnout. All yeah. the other the other alternative to that is that you bring on more coaches and you sell the team. Yeah. Uh, which which is another fine way to work, but it wasn't the avenue that I wanted to go down. I already knew what my mission was. So it was a case of building out my one-to-one service to build up as much cash flow as possible so that I could pay for the app and not have a third party come in and build the app where they own a percentage of it. Yeah. So during that period, I was so skinned that I had a BMW 1 Series. It was £300 a month and I yep. was only taking home £320 a month. So I would literally buy a multi-pack of Monster every day and that would be my food. I wouldn't eat until I got home later when I got back to my mum and dad's and they yeah. would feed me. So that was like, I was just all in. And because I believed in what I was doing, yeah. you couldn't tell me I was wrong because I just knew I could see where I wanted to be. Where does that work ethic come from? I know that like we're going to do this in another episode. I really would love to dig into like where that comes from because I think that's so interesting. But you've gone and you've, most people are happy with PT and they're happy with online. There's very few that think about an app. And when they do think about an app, they're risk averse enough to go with one of these big app providers who then end up basically owning your business. What makes you think, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take all the headache, the cost, the risk of developing it myself so I own all the intellectual property and going down that route anyway, which is just ultimately more hard work until you get to the point of it running smoothly. Yeah, I don't I don't know where it resides for, from within me. From I don't know whether because I was always one of those kids through sport, I was always captain of the football team, games captain, sports captain. I was always used to taking on a lot of responsibility and a lot of backlash that would come from things. So I don't know whether that independence and moving into business had made me more willing to take on the responsibility in the short term for, I suppose, the applaud in the, in the long term. But your dad is a successful person, right? Did he impart, this is more for me as an interest on yeah. like, how do I put this into my kids? Did he instill in you, like if you're gonna do something, there's no point in doing it unless you go all in and work really hard and think big and those kind of things. I think I've probably seen it more as a lot of people. Or will, it could be your mum, right? I don't know. Well, I think a lot of people look at role models, right? And we love role models. But there's a, there's a thing called like, I think it's negative or reverse role models as well. And you you if you look around you in your community, you'll see people who you don't want to be like. Yeah. You'll see people who drink a lot and have a poor relationship with drink. You'll see and look around you at people who have poor relationships with parents or family members. Uh, you look around you and see people who are in jobs that they don't want to be in, but mm. they still stay there. Yeah. And then there's a lot that we can take from looking at negative role models and go, okay, that's the pe- the people that I don't want to be like. I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but my dad worked for people all his life and worked in a job to provide for his family and put himself last yeah. all the time. Um. And I think I looked around and didn't want to be in that position. Mm. And it probably scared me a little bit looking at that. And that was probably a driver for me in terms of looking at the negative side of things. Because I don't know if you ever heard Jordan Peterson speak about this before. It's the, the push versus pull principle as well I about so. motivation. So yeah. there was a, an experiment done on this and it was done with rats. And what they did was they put rats in a cage uh, and they wanted to measure a motive for a rat of, of punishment versus reward. Yeah. Uh, and they started by putting the 
a block of cheese in front of the rat or the yeah. mouse and measured the pull by a device that was attached to the tail of the back of the rat. And then they, from behind the rat, in the second experiment, wafted in the smell of a cat. And the smell of the cat, when the rat pulled, measured a far bigger pulling force than just the reward. Yeah. So this is the kind of thing I'm talking about of negative versus positive role models and, and reward. away from pain. I th- yeah, yeah, towards pleasure. pleasure. Right? I think I think you need definitely both of them, <clears throat> yep. but having that pain point sometimes, which is why I think when we're talking about like privilege, sometimes I don't think the the type of even when we sit football players, fighters, people who have risen from the dirt and have been through those painful experiences, mm. they've almost got those mental calluses that are there to pull them through hard times yep. when they're really challenged. Which some people don't have if they come from privilege, so I think having that can be a big motive. And that's when I looked at my dad and thought they're the type of thing that I don't want to go through and yeah. those pain points that pulled me through and I thought I'll just keep fucking going no matter what yeah it's really interesting and I think you want to show them as well like my dad gave me everything provided everything however you know I mean he, he'll probably listen to this but what the fuck he, he never I don't remember him coming and watching me play one rugby game at school every Saturday he would be working you know to provide, so it's not like yeah, 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 hundred percent. I have any issue with it. It had to be done, but you don't then want to put yourself in the same situation. So he pushed me, which I did. Go work for KPMG, yeah, get the good qualification, go to university, go work for Thomas Cook, go work for Paramount Pictures, and then ultimately be a. a, a I said this to someone the other day when they were talking about their kid and pushing them to go to this certain private school in the Midlands. And I'm like, the way you're talking is you're just going to create your kid to be a rat in the rat race. And then when it came out, I thought, oh, that's a bit overly harsh. So I dulled it down a bit. But the point is, he then made me a rat in the rat race. And I didn't want to be like that. Yeah. I wanted, like you said, because I saw him working so hard and not having very much money. I think he probably only earned about 25, 30 grand somehow managed to send me to private school. We never went on any holidays, never did anything. But anything I wanted, I got. He somehow met, found a way. But I think subconsciously you pick up then you don't want to be like that. So you go away from that and say, well, I want the freedom of earning money, helping people. But also if I have a week and I want to, like my kids are at football camp this week and I want to work from 10 till 2 so I can go and watch them play, I can do that. Yeah, freedom. Yeah, freedom is so important, right? A business should make money, allow you, if you imagine it like a triangle, right? Uh, this was in my Performex presentation. Actually, Performex is a, we speak, spoke about yeah. Performex, it's a fitness event. Um, it should make money, yes, but it should also at the same time, as it builds, increase your level of freedom, not decrease it, and allow you to have an impact and leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. And if it does those three things and those increase over time, then that's a good business. If you're sacrificing one side of the triangle to build another, you'll end up being unhappy, unfulfilled, or giving up. I think that's, difficult for people to see or move away from because at first you have to just throw sacrifice yourself sacrifice freedom yeah. to create but money but people never get that yeah. balance back yeah yeah. and I think it almost becomes a, a part of when people aren't then working they become agitated and anxious because they feel they always need to be working yeah. on the thing well they feel guilty right yeah yeah and- like you and Dan I never had any friends for probably 10 years because if I spent time with my friends I would feel guilty that I wasn't with my family or working, as in providing for them. So I put my needs away. Then, when you're standing in front of people and presenting, oh, your business should create freedom, 
you start to think, well, maybe I should follow my own advice. There's a, there's a term yeah. for that, for people who can't follow their own advice. And I'm one of those people sometimes. <laughs> like I, I even put a tweet or thread out this morning about um, play because it's something that we spoke about, I think, last Playing night. Playing FIFA, yeah, with the kids. Yeah, and it's it's something when you run your own business, sometimes it's difficult to do because you think it's a waste of time. But yeah. I put a thread out this morning, which was taking a quote on a quote, and it was, play doesn't just help us to explore what is essential. It is essential in and of itself. Play is the highest form of research. Don't get so busy. You abandon the place to flex your failures. Because ultimately, a play area is a place where you can do things, and it doesn't matter if you fuck up because it's not a, like a live situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And you need that. So that's really important for people who are listening and are pushing on the, on the, or pushing down the freedom side to make money because they're in that stage of their business. And that's fine. But I wish I had from the start of my business created half a day or a day a week where I just didn't think about it. And I had my own time and time with my own friends, not just having to spend time with your, Mm -hmm. not having to, but not just spending time with your wife and kids and feeling guilty. You, You also need, to prioritize your own time with your own friends. And my wife's really good at that. She's still got friends from when she was at school, but I don't have those relationships because I neglected them over such a long period of time that they get to the point where they're irreversibly, you can't reconcile those yeah. because you've both moved in to- totally different directions. But I think then you'll probably find people who are in a similar situation too. Like who yeah, like now yeah. I, I, don't, I choose to hang out with you. I would choose to hang out with Dan, my, my only two friends, because <laughs> we have a lot of commonalities, yeah. right? And I don't need 10, 15, 25 friends. Although I gained a whole bunch of friends when we went on your stag do and your friends have similar values to you, hence why I would get on well with them. Um, Okay, so you've got this vision. I think that's a real key point to pick on is that we can do this podcast about how do you transition from PT to something else, but unless you've got that something else in your mind, what do you want to achieve? It's not a case of just copying what you've done. It's about finding what you really want to do with your life. And if you are happy just PTing people and you've got a consistent stream of leads coming in, so your business is growing, that's okay, right? Yeah, I think... The thing, if you don't take a step back and have context with where the hard work is going, and this is probably like one of the fears that I also had was, I think is it James James Clear wrote Atomic Habits. Yeah, and that's he, an amazing book. He, he really talks good. he talks about just having good habits and just showing up each day, and as long as you have the habits and the hard work, you will find the way. And I do believe that is very important. But also, if you are climbing a ladder and the ladder is up against the wrong wall. Mm. You could get to the top and think, fuck, I've climbed all the way up here, but I'm at the top of the wrong wall. Yeah. And I think that's why it's important to have the context of where you're going. And sit down and actually either do it yourself or sit down and brainstorm with your family. Yeah. Where do we want to be in 10 years, 20 years? And if you think about it in a freedom, money and impact model, you can say like, how much do I want to be working each week? And if you want to work 20 hours a week, you probably need a team in place. Mm -hmm. So there are steps you're going to need to take over a long period of time to put that in place. How much money do I want to make? And then you can reverse engineer. Or is that money coming from online PT, from physical PT, from programs, whatever it is, something else within the fitness industry. It doesn't have to be in the fitness industry. I mean, these lessons apply to any industry. And if you want to have an impact, what does that look like? I mean, Yasser and I did this. We went to a business event run for accountants and the whole day event was basically just working out those three things. As partners in the business, how many hours do we want to work? 
what money do we want to be earning that we can draw dividends down on and how many businesses do we want to help which is why we primarily work with businesses that are owner managed mm -hmm. they might have brought on a small amount of investment but we don't work with venture backed tech startups for example yeah. because it's not rewarding for us we want to work with a business help them and then you're basically directly helping their families because if they're more successful they have a lower risk of failure they make more money you're impacting yeah, yeah. so many more people does that make sense yeah 100 yeah but that's powerful for me because i believe that most people don't have clarity on their finances and that's the number one reason why businesses fail so for me to give that that clarity and reduce the risk of business failure to less than half a percent that's a real powerful mission and you're out there trying to empower people through fitness and strength and community but i think even that clarity is something that needs reminding because it's easy to be an autopilot and forget about what that bigger picture on a day to day is, but yeah so how do you do that how do you uh, keep your eye. I mean, I know the answer to this because I've been to your house. But how how do you keep your eye on what you guys are actually working towards? I think like probably a lot of the things that you've taught me has has helped in terms of creating uh, more of a structure of what I'm doing because I'm talking to people about creating a, a structure around how can they live a healthier and happier life and not just put more years on their life but put more life in their years. Yeah, and you're doing the same thing but from a business perspective and that has helped me to focus on those sort of things of mm -hmm. where I know what I'm working towards and I have a, a clear two or three big campaigns that I'm working on for the year mm -hmm. or there's a couple of smaller ones within inside the quarter that we are then as a team focused on delivering to the best of our capabilities rather than dividing our energy over too many things and yep. the, the, the campaigns and the projects never get completed yep. or they're half arse completed. So we now have two or three things that we'll focus on as opposed to 16 with inside a, a project window. Yeah. And it, it just means that the delivery, even the, the High Rocks campaign that we delivered this month was huge. So you partnered with High Rocks, right? You're mm -hmm. one of the the few official providers of programming to High Rocks, which has got to be the fastest growing fitness Yeah, it is the fastest growing fitness competition. It's, UK, it's, right? it's a little bit like CrossFit, but not as, I don't want to piss people off. It's not as clicky. And the, I suppose... Well, it's easier to access, isn't it? Because the, the, accessibility the skill is component isn't there like it is in CrossFit. An everyday gym goer could do it because yeah. the, the skill level that you need to access it isn't as big. And yeah. the beautiful thing about it is as well, you go to the event days and they're full of people of different um, abilities, races, class, age, sex, they weight, just want to test height. themselves. Yeah. They, just, they want to test themselves against themselves. And if you're someone who maybe hasn't been tested since... PE in high school yeah. because let's be honest not many of us are from a health and fitness perspective yeah. then it's a way that you can do that and have some accountability with it which is why it's great and everyone's there supporting each other so yeah we're one of the providers in terms of the programming for that now which has been a long slog to get it over the line but again it's good to be partnered up with another brand which is so forward facing forward thinking and fast growing mm. around the world as well and it very much fits into our ethos of running and lifting together so it's been a big project and because we were able to focus on that and use some of the principles that you taught me in, inside the, um, even some of the documents that you, you sent over to yeah, them and just planning to, those so out people, mapping those out. Yeah, and people who are listening so you can get a feel for it. We have a business planning process at Grow Factor, which I've basically modified. It's it's kind of, there's a book called Scaling Up, which I'd really recommend. It's a bit of a snog, but it's, it's, it's a good reading if you want to up your business skills. 
There's a guy called Vern Harnish and he has a, a single page business planning process in there, but also the EOS system, which it has, there's a book called Rocket Fuel, which I know you've read yeah. and a book called Traction. And they use a similar methodology. It's just having what, a business plan on a page which has your ultimate long-term goals, your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal. What do you really want to achieve in 10 years plus? Mm -hmm. And then it reverses it right back to what are you trying to achieve over the next quarter? But it says to you, look, over the next quarter, it doesn't matter how big your business is, you should only really have three priority projects that you're working on. So even if you're starting your business and your transition is to go from PT to, to releasing your first PDF program, you might need one of the projects to be developing an ad campaign, one of them to be writing the PDF in itself, and the other one to be partnering with a graphic designer to design mm -hmm. all the components or things like that. So you break it down into the three most important. And if you look at it over the year, you're actually getting 12 key projects done versus spinning 10 or 15 plates like you may have been done before. None of these projects are actually getting completed. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah, and it gives you the clarity. So what I do to keep an eye on my vision is just print that page and put it in my office. So every time I walk in there, I'm reminded with what we're trying to achieve over the short and long term. I need to have that in multiple places. So we have it on a big whiteboard. I have yeah. it on my iMac, which is big on the back background screen. And I have that document that you actually sent me, the orange one with the white pages on. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Is, the project That planner, is saved yeah. on a key tab on my MacBook as well. So, so I'm someone who needs it in focused. a couple of different spaces, yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that's definitely really helped, especially since when you start taking on more responsibility and taking more risk, it's something that definitely helps like when you're making those decisions and you're thinking, shit, is it the right thing to do? Yeah. Helps me keep focused on, okay, this the this the reason why I'm making those and decisions. Is it taking you close to that goal, which is a good decision-making framework? Mm -hmm. This is my goal. If I say yes to this, does it help or does it just add more to my plate, which isn't actually moving me forward? Well, yeah, you can be pulled in different uh, spaces and places that don't contribute to that end task. And a big, another really good read, I don't know if you've read it, Essentialism. Oh uh, yeah, Greg McEwen. Greg McEwen. I love that book, yeah. I've read it all three times now because... Yeah. It's there's probably so many people, even people that are listening today, you'll probably have things in your diary and I've just been mapping out mine this morning and that's yeah. what I was thinking about it, that you, you could probably take, I don't know, 10 to 20% of your tasks away for the week. Yeah. And even if you did it for a week and then look at the impact of not doing those 10 to 20% of the tasks, it probably wouldn't have an impact on your life or business. In fact, it probably have a better impact on your life because you you're not- spend more time doing the things that actually move the needle. Or more yeah. time with friends, family. Yeah, that's right. Social. Yeah. yeah, I have to look at my plan for the week and block out that time with family and with friends before. So you have to just know yourself, right? If you know that you would prioritize work over family and friends, you block the friends first, you block the family time after, then you block the key stuff for work, and then you have a rough plan for the week. Yeah, so there's a, there's a, there's a planner called like the unscheduled planner. Uh, is another book that I read uh, about procrastination because I'm one of those people that if I get time or used to be one of those people when I get time back I'll fill it with more work yeah so I have yeah. to do the I have to reverse Standard. engineer and put the family and friend time in or the reward first yeah before the work because if I get time back I'll fill it with more work and that's really cool as well because if you do those three projects it's a 10-week sprint supposed to be with a one-week review and a one-week deload just like programming for for, for, for lifting or, or running or whatever, right? In the one week, so you do 10 weeks on these three projects. Mm -hmm. Let's just say whatever they are. One week you review the project. The project should be complete, but you review, does it need to roll forward? How well did it go? What impact mm -hmm. did it have? Da, 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 da. And then you pick three more projects for the next quarter. And the last week, you're not allowed to work on projects. So that instantly frees up time in your week. Mm -hmm. Ideally, 
you take that total week off work. If you can't afford to go, like we will go abroad once a quarter. If you can't afford to go away, you go to an Airbnb in the UK or yes. wherever you live, wherever you're listening from. It doesn't have to be money. It's just take some time to deload your brain from your day-to-day. -day. That's basic human psychology as well as positive reinforcement. You're just rewarding good behaviors for a project that you completed. Yeah, it could be like, oh, I really want this Louis Vuitton belt bag. And, and you write that because there's a space in this one-page plan for writing your reward. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted this Prada belt bag. But I said, I'm not going to get this because I Ben put me onto this guy on Instagram that dresses really <laughs> nicely and he's got this Prada belt bag in every one of his shots. Um, and I really wanted it. Uh, Khalil something he's called. But big I said Khalil. to myself, big deal Khalil, yeah. Um, what a guy. I'm not going to buy that until I've completed project one, two and three, which I've done. We're now on the podcast. That's active. My other project was daily content across seven platforms, including email. That's been done for the last three months. And the third project was starting to reach out to people on an outbound basis. Those are my three projects for the last quarter. Do you know what? I got to the end of the quarter and it just happened that they were still all partway through and that was okay. So mm -hmm. I just rolled them forward for another quarter and now they're almost complete. So I'll pick three more projects at the end. But I think in that transition from PT to, 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 this really big idea of having this community and app that has a global reach is so important that then you look at and plan your week and say, well, I want to do four days on PT because that'll make me this much yeah. money. And the other day I'm going to work on the project of my coach and this is the project plan and these are the priority tasks. And you just sit there and you just work as much as you can in priority order. Yeah. And Don't as, as long complicate it. As long as you know that bigger picture and production, then it's it's okay. I think we live in a world where everyone's used to get getting instant gratification. And that was one of the things I had to wait for the delayed gratification because yeah, I was How long did you work on it for before you launched it to the world? It was I was pretty good at scaling the online stuff one-to-one -one because I jumped on Facebook ads early and instead of doing the usual stuff that people would market in terms of bringing on one-to-one -one online clients, my structure of getting one-to-one -one clients was I took on a bit of debt early on. Yep. I worked with a marketing agency who ran Facebook ads yep. direct to one-to-one -one sales calls. Okay. And then I would do about eight to one-to-one -one sales calls per day. So wow. I just sit in the office all day doing sales did you, calls. How did you get that marketing agency out of interest? Did someone recommend you to them or did you find Yeah, it, it was recommended okay. by, it's actually recommended by Ben Francis. I spoke to him at an event. So I, and okay. I didn't know him at the time, but I just went- But that's it. another learning. But I just went- Seek people out and be vulnerable. Yeah. Ask for help. I just went, fuck it. Went on to an event, asked them about it. Did it. The next t tell me the story. Sorry to interrupt you, but tell me the story about um, Stephen Bartlett. And performance. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is such a lesson for people because we don't need to give people the ten steps to launching your own app. Because the point of this podcast is that you guys will have your own visions, dreams, stories. It might not be an app. You might not be in fitness at all. But it's the takeaways, even if it's one thing about okay, yeah, I don't do that, and I don't. I think ninety nine out of hundred people would not do this in terms of this story yeah. that you're about it's, to tell. It's it's the same with the Ben one. Like I saw him at an event, and I went up to him and just asked him for help and asked him for advice and was cheeky. Yeah. Uh, and he gave me advice that changed the way my business grew straight away. And then the same with uh, Performex, I did the same thing with Steven. I 
We were so kind of- Stephen Bartlett, Performex is an event, yeah. probably the leading fitness industry event in the UK, right? We sponsored it this year, Grow Factor. And we had the bar and a DJ and all this yeah. cool stuff and the speakers were amazing. And you've got um, Ollie March on there. You've got Stephen Bartlett. You've got all the big people are there, but Stephen Bartlett is Stephen Bartlett. Yeah. Right? That's an A-lister as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. Yeah. And so he's doing the signature keynote talk at the end of the event to the point where people are lying on the floor. Like there's all the seats have gone, everyone's in there, everyone wants to listen to him. And he's not hanging around the event. He's literally just come in to do the talk and and he's going out again. Yeah. Yeah. So we caught him in a space called the green room, which is like where all the guest speakers speak. I had already planned a couple of weeks before uh, I was going to pitch to him. And that was was it. Lucy and Carl were like a bit iffy about me doing it but I was like once I've got an idea in my head I'm yep. doing it so I came up with this plan to pitch to him and I thought I'll only have probably two to three minutes just due to how busy he'll be so I wanted to do something that he'd remember so I bought a brand new iPhone yeah and I up- deleted the whole wiped the whole iPhone and there's only a couple of things that were on it it was uh, my pitch deck it was the application and it was in the notes section had my email address and contact number in it. This is because you wanted him to be aware of my coach so that if he chooses to invest in businesses moving forward, he remember me. And jump on the board, he'll remember you. Yeah, so saw him in the green room, had, had the iPhone, went up to him, introduced myself, Lucy with me, and pretty much pitched I don't him. know how you do it. I'd be scared to even walk up and say hello to him. I think when I'm just thinking about things like that, about the amount of things that we miss in life due to fear, yeah. And how much growth is at the other side of doing something that is uncomfortable is unbelievable. So I thought, fuck it, I might be embarrassed or might feel like a bit of an idiot for five minutes, but the opportunity that is on the other end of this far outweighs me feeling a bit stupid for five minutes. Yeah, I think if you can apply that logic to a lot of decisions that you make in life, it'll push you forward. It's amazing advice. And more. also just making sure that each week which I haven't done for ages, actually. Put a post-it note if you're listening to this and you're at your desk right now. Put a post-it note and write on it, have I done something uncomfortable this week? And every single week, if you do something uncomfortable, you know you're moving forward. Sorry, Tangent. I've also run a a, a 10 Spaces Guys Only program, which is sold out, but it's something that I launched this year. And it's health and fitness-based, but three of the things in there is we all read a book and each, each week they have to summarize a chapter that we're all reading. They have to take a daily ice bath. They have to do one thing that's uncomfortable each week yep. with inside whatever growth they're looking for and have yep. to report it to the group. And then the other thing is if they're single, they have to do one thing that improves them to be a better first date or if they're in a relationship, they have to spend one evening of quality time uninterrupted with a partner. Amazing. So and it's that accountability as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Accountability to yourself is 20%. If you've got accountability to a group, and we spoke about this as well, you're in a networking group that you mentioned to me might be enjoyable and fruitful for for me um and being part of communities and growing your business and it's so easy to do it now there's so many out there or you can create your own with your friends who are running businesses who are at a similar kind of level to you and complementary not competitive Mm -hmm. and just work together you know we have the whatsapp group with you me and dan and we use that sometimes just to share ideas or ask questions and don't try and do everything yourself or even just a bit of hype so you've gone up to him and you've given him the phone. What yeah. has he said to you? So I pitched to him and then give him it and I was planning on walking away. Yeah. 
And the two to three minutes I thought I was going to spend with him turned into 15 minutes because wow. he starts taking the iPhone out and looking at the pitch deck in yeah. front of me. And that point I'm sweating because I'm like, wow, okay. And then it turned into a bit of a grilling then. So yeah. I had to know my numbers. I had to know what we were speaking about. And yeah, he, ju he just spent sort of 10 to 15 minutes being very complimentary about the position that we were in with the business, where we were looking to move to. And he was asking more about the space that we want to grow into. Um, and Lucy sometimes speaks, well, quite often speaks to his PA about yeah. things. Um, and again, it just put us in his sort of peripheral kind of yeah, yeah. moving forward. Vision or yeah. just to, um, awareness. I think right? he's just taken on another fitness app called Zoe and something else. So we yeah. probably pitched him at like a, a not great time. Yeah. But we're in the back of his mind now moving forward. And it also gave me a lot of experience in terms of the probably more than likely be knowing that I'll pitch too bigger than that. So that when it comes to having to pitch at any other point or circumstance mm. again, it gives me a lot of confidence in delivering my business to other people. And again, for, for people running businesses, you still own all the equity in the business. It's not about the fact that you need the capital. It's actually now about, which we've spoken about, if you can bring people on and start to create a board structure, people who have, you know, because Stephen Bartlett has expertise that I don't have, you don't have, you bring people on board as advisors and you create this structure where eventually you've got this and it could be virtual table where you've got either investors or just board members. Someone sits in, I'm a world-class expert in marketing, mm -hmm. another one in sales, another one in people, another one in... So all areas of your business, you start to build up this virtual team. Yeah, so that's that's the thing for us and that all me now is more so the relationships and contacts and the attributes that they can offer because moving from the PT to the app, we signed off the first app build and it was 120K maybe. Yeah. Moving from a PT, that's like a lot of money and we bootstrapped the whole project, but that was because I'd spent so much time in doing the due diligence and the sacrifice first to build up the money that we keep all that equity. Yeah. And now when it comes to the projects, like we just signed on a, off another one then this year, which is another 70K's worth of improvements to the, the build, app. Yeah we just bootstrap it again or use the profits again to pay for it instead of taking on loans or giving percentage away. So that when we're looking at then investors or boards, it's more so about what they can offer. Yeah. Yeah. And if you really wanted to take my money. coach and really pump cash in and go global with the approach and the ads and everything else, then ultimately you're going to need some cash up front to get that whole thing moving because there's a cycle of when people see your ad 17 times before they actually yeah. sign up. And so you'll need some upfront cash. And sometimes, yeah, it's possible to scale a business significantly through what we call retained earnings, which is the cash that you're generating. But a lot of the time, if you see an opportunity in business, and people ask me about this all the time, like when is a good time to take on a loan? When should you take on a loan versus take on taking on investment? My advice is run as, as bootstrapped for as long as possible. Then you're looking at either debt finance which used to be the approach I would recommend. Now it's really very expensive. So if you can bring on an investor that also brings something to the mm -hmm. table like Stephen, as in expertise, you're having to give away some of the business, but with his contacts and connections, like anyone who watches Dragon's Den understands this, right? Contacts, connections, capital, but also he's gonna make you accountable to making that capital go as far as possible, open up different doors for you, and if you've got 100K just come in and you can spend that whole 100K now on an ad campaign, instead of going, I'm going to spend 5K this month, then 10K, then 15, then 20, you've smashed it straight in and just hit the ground running, yeah. right? It just accelerates growth. 
but every business is different. So you need to just seek yeah. professional advice on when you should take on a loan, when you should take on investment and not try and do everything yourself. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, I was just going to say one more thing, how we met as well and how it was important that as a growth factor client, we added value quickly was that you did all of that development work and had, I think, an accountant at that time and weren't even necessarily aware that a high percentage of that development work you could get back in tax credits. Yeah, the, I mean, I think this is a difficult thing about even working with different people and mainly accountants is that you don't know that you're working with a poor accountant until you work with other people. I think a lot of people sign up with people that they work with or accountants or marketing agencies and just stay with them. A little bit like, I mean, you can make it comparative to relationships or jobs. The, um, is it the, the, the region beta paradox where th something's really difficult mm. or shitty, but you just stay in a shitty situation because you've always been in it. Because you think it's more difficult to move or typically I think with accountants as well, especially if they're qualified, they talk to you in a technical language. They come across as, look, I'm a lot more, more clever than you. Cleverer, more clever. I don't know what's the correct English there. But they come across in a way that you feel fearful to question them. Yeah. And you just trust what they're saying. But one of the things that Tony, we just had Business Mastery last week, which is an event. And one of the things that Tony Robbins offers to all the people that go to Business Mastery is a second opinion on their taxes. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing when you walk around the room and he's doing his speech about, listen, if you went to the doctor and got a, a poor uh, prognosis on your health and you they told you you were terminally ill, right? Or they told you, you know, you need to walk on crutches for the rest of your life. Would you just accept that opinion? Mm -hmm that negative opinion or would you go and seek a second opinion yeah. everyone puts their hand up yeah i'd seek a second opinion and he's like well when your accountant sends you this tax bill and it's 25 grand do you get a second opinion or do you even ask them how many stages of review has this been through you just accept it right mm -hmm. everyone puts up their hand and then now he asks do, do you think it's a good idea if you potentially got a second opinion and they're all looking at him like for whatever reason with finances and like you said with other things people just don't even think about that they just put all their trust, which is fine, in their accountant. But if that trust is built up and earned, then fair enough. But if it's not... It's built up and earned, but I think that... Yeah, okay. So, like, but you could take the accounts that we prep for you as a growth factor client and go and get a second opinion. And I'd be okay with that because I know that it goes through two or three stages of review before we file. So it's very unlikely that we've missed something. Mm -hmm. but, I, but that's what I mean, though, because the, the way our relationship's built up, that... I'm at a point where I have a massive level of trust because the way the relationship's been built that I don't, wouldn't even waste my time doing that. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. And that's the difference with any coach or person that you work with is the relationship that you work on is so important as well. Yeah, for sure. But it's nice for us like to be able to show tangible return on investment mm -hmm. for a client making a switch. So you come in, you don't know that you can get a, research and development tax relief claim, for example. We've, we we've made so it. much money back just from the R&D. Yeah, and you get tens of thousands of pounds back within a few weeks just because you get a second opinion, mm -hmm. right? Makes a big difference to the business. What, just really quickly, what has been your experience now we've worked together? You don't work directly with me, you work with my team, but mm -hmm. what's been your experience and how has that made a difference in your business of being a growth actor client versus before? I think a big thing is communication. We'd speak to our accountant once a year, twice a year. Uh, everything else was done via email, whereas now there's a face and a voice to an accountant. There is 
help and support. And that's that's part of the thing in terms of building a relationship and trust that means that I wouldn't go away and check other places because I, I understand what is happening now. Mm. The communication isn't just communication. It's communication that now just doesn't go over my head. I yeah. now understand, okay, this is the A to B. This is where it's come from. This is the process. This is why. Yeah. Not just there's there's a tax bill. Yeah, there's it's a relationship and a partnership, yeah. right? And then obviously the other thing that we do, what we've been talking about is the bigger production. So having those assets, those documents, those things where I can use for planning. And don't get me wrong, there needs to be a certain level of work that comes from me because like with anything in life, you can hand people the plan or the project or the thing to do. And 99% of people won't do it. It's 1% that do everything and the people who win. And I'll take that and then use it to then help me grow and move forward because it creates me a structure to to funnel my hard work into, which has worked well for me as well so it's been valuable on a strategic planning perspective giving you an, a framework i guess to plan the strategy for the growth of the business and your own accountability to mm-hmm. spinning less plates and actually ultimately getting more done yeah the tax has been saved which is just a question of actually using a qualified tax person to do a second opinion and the r&d is huge because we spend yeah. loads of money every year on development because that's one of the biggest things for us to continue to move the business the features forward and because we're a member-led community using people's feedback to continue to develop. Yeah. So that means that we get more money back to then spend on better in our service, which means our why is always at the forefront. Yeah, you want to, for every unit of hard work, I always say this, you want to get the maximum amount of cash out of the business. Otherwise, you're working extra hard for no reason. And I think when you came as well, you weren't in zero. You weren't on no. online accounting. You couldn't now get things done every week so that you can run off profit and loss reports or cash reports or performance reports whenever you want. Whereas before, it just wasn't being done, right? Because you were only speaking to your accountant once a year, it just was piling up and piling up and piling up. So if you had an investor come, I mean, you didn't have this scenario, but if you had an investor come and say, I'd like to see your management accounts for the last three months, that would be probably a month long exercise to get all the bookkeeping done. Whereas now you can just click a button. Yeah. So you would recommend Growth Factor as a business. Yeah. There you go. You can give, you give me the commission tip later. I'll sort you out. <laughs> so I want to start wrapping up, right? But I, I definitely, I mean, this focus has been on the transition. And actually, I think we've spoken less about the practicalities of transitioning from a PT to app developer, but more about powerful things, about the principles mm-hmm. involved in your success. What have been some of the struggles from going from PT to where you are now, you know, CEO of a community, what have been some of the hardest struggles that you've got through? I think not, this is only something that I've probably even realized recently is the the difficulty or not so much the difficulty, but the time, effort and energy it takes to build brand. Yeah. There's a difference. Was it always called My Coach? No, it used to be called My Coach School. Okay. And that even, so what we did was we did a rebrand come up to two years ago now. Yeah. And part of what we did was we did a massive project with another agency where we interviewed 300 members, took a load of feedback. We interviewed members of the public who didn't know the brand and we got the perception of people who were members, weren't members. The school terminology led people to believe it was an education service. So that mm. was the thing we chopped off straight away and became my coach PT in your pocket. Yeah. I've told people what it was. Um, and and building brand now has become 
again, it's another sexy term, building brand. But it's it's become a thing for us that we've had a big focus on because there's a lot of personal trainers, there's a lot of PT services that I think aren't brand. They're just service, and we want to continue to know what people are buying into as a brand yeah. and what we're delivering. So that was a big overhaul that we did two years ago. I think that's been a difficult thing for me to understand because building brand is a very difficult metric to measure. And when something's difficult to measure, difficult to pour time, energy, and money into. Yeah, you don't know if you're spending that time, energy, and money wisely. Yeah. But it's something that I've now see, and this is where it's changed the way that my thought process is. I now don't see it as like, this thing is going to move the needle really far into where we need to be. Yeah, I don't think there's any, there's some projects and some campaigns that are like catching lightning in a bottle that some brands will get a hold of and mm. they will boom and they yep. blow brands up. But there, the chance of those happening are really short to slim. Yeah. So my focus is like just working on projects to do with brand that move the needle further and further forward. Step build by step. your foundation to separate you from all these individual PTs or startups or yeah. these little businesses that and don't I, take the time to do things properly. I think because I now don't view it as finite. Like I always used to think, oh, we need to get this end goal. We need to reach this. We need to get that. Now I see it as an infinite game that I can just keep fucking up in, yeah. keep getting it wrong. And I can't ever lose because I won't ever stop. That's so important. And if you get to the point where you can recognize patient progress and failure is learning, you just keep and enjoy the process that's massive. Mm -hmm. Something I struggle with for sure. Yeah, I, I I still struggle with it. Yeah. But now that I have that bigger picture production, it makes it easier for me to struggle with. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter if I get things wrong. And we're looking at other things like the offline events, the online events. How many different little bits and pieces of the jigsaw plug into this thing of building brand that help us move the needle for, forward further, so that people understand the brand, more people see the brand, more people trust the brand, and people understand the why of what we're doing. Which mm -hmm. again, I think. As a personal trainer, it's difficult, but I think for any business, it's difficult to quantify that, which makes it a like bottom. Everyone focuses on like bottom end funnel stuff, like where the the measurable metrics and tangible yeah, things yeah, are. The conversion, and, yeah, right. which we all want to look at as business owners. But for me now, the brand is just so important to what I want to build. Yeah, further forward into the future. And if you're looking at uh, you know following role models of brands big brands that have been successful across decades, they were really, like look at Nike and read the Shoe Dog book. They're all focused about brand, brand, community, reputation, and people associating everything that you do from the sound of the name to the logo, to the slogan, to the coloring, to the font, to everything with, oh, that's Nike. And then you, you put, it's that, that, that film is it Air Jordan? Yeah, Air. Uh, yeah. So, not comparing what we did to that, but we will release this High Rocks program. I've not done a High Rocks, so I'm not going to try and I'm not going to build a program and sell it to people because I've never done High Rocks. Yeah. So we brought on two new coaches. One who's a men's pro. Yeah. Who's been there, done it, got the times. Uh, another female who's been up to a world level and is delivering a program online. The reason for that is just like Nike took on Michael Jordan to fill the shoes and promote the shoes, which came yeah. with trust. People then trusted the brand because he'd been there, walked in the shoes, done the thing. We brought on two coaches that had been there, walked it and done it to sell the program rather mm. than us trying to sell the program, which didn't really have any authority and trust. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's now work with individuals who can become a part of the brand, who we need to be careful and selecting so that 
the messages transpired in the same way, but they also plugged their communities into ours and yeah. it has synergy. To pull this together, I think one of the biggest things, hopefully, if you answer the question in the way that I think you're going to do, is a lot of people, I think, make the mistake of going forward, doing the nine to five, working in the business, and they are never having these big picture. Like you've come up with that idea about the phone with Stephen Bartlett. You've come up with that idea about partnering with someone for Hyrox. Do you plan out thinking time in your week where you just sit there and think? Or do you do that in team meetings and you're brainstorming together? And where do you capture those ideas? Like how, because you're constantly, you've probably got 50 plus ideas written down somewhere that will take your business forward that are all around your key pillars, like brand, community, delivering a better service, all these things. What's your process for actually idea generation and capture? So there's a couple of different things with this, and this is where it comes back to play that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Because a lot of ideas will come from a scenario where there's not pressure or time yeah. or planning in place where you've got more freedom just to let the reins go. Yeah. So one of them is, is definitely even with the gym and physical exercise. So one of the, the things that we do as a business is all employees in our business have between nine to 10 to go to the gym. Yeah. For the first hour they can dedicate to going to the gym because I believe it's it's like sharpening the pencil that sets them up for the day. Yeah. Um, so often me and Kyle will idea share in that space and scenario. Um, a, a weird one is like traveling. So me and Kyle were on the train the other day. So Kyle's like the brand manager now. Yeah. And we had two hours stuck on a platform because the train was canceled and we just said, let's in this two hours, we've got, we can't do anything else. We've got no yeah. service on our phones. Yeah. Let's use the time to think of ideas. And we've now already created the concept for January's campaign next year from yeah. that two hours that we spent just wow. com completely. Yeah, I used to love that. That was the one thing I used to love about having to commute down when we had a central London office and I lived in Solihull when the kids were little is the internet more often than not, it doesn't work. So but if you take a pen and a journal, it's amazing what comes out. But most people, they don't give themselves the time because there's no direct ROI with the pen and the journal mm -hmm. each week. There's a guy called Keith Cunningham who speaks at Business Mastery. He's going to retire at some point because he is old, but he is incredible. If you ever get a chance to check out any of his books or look at him online, he's 70 plus. So he's not going to teach you anything about modern ways to generate leads mm -hmm. or convert clients. But if you're looking at business principles and one of his main principles is block out thinking time, find your favorite comfy chair, get some sunlight, do it wherever you feel it's productive and just sit with a pen, a journal and your, and your blank paper and your mind, right? And no distractions. Yeah, I think changing the environment is such a powerful thing in idea creation because i think if you're in a place in, a, in an office where you always work yeah you always go back to doing little things or being distracted getting out and changing the environment that you're in i yeah. think is so good for your creative headspace a hundred percent i agree and also like when i hang out with you i come away energized yeah and i can go back into Energy the office sharing. and things that you're doing in your business so we went and trained push this morning we're on the way to the gym we're talking about things that ben's doing with his community and I'm thinking, do you know what? I could take X, Y, and Z from that and do it in growth factor. So if an accountant can take things from a fitness entrepreneur, you can take ideas from anyone in any industry. So you don't have to join a mastermind with just people in your industry. If you have an open mind, 
And there's lots of unique ideas that you can look at just by looking at successful businesses or and surrounding yourself with people who are as driven as you, who are as successful as you or more successful than you. Yeah. And you come away like buzzing. Your energy is totally different. And I do think you have to sort of plan that in through the weeks. If I'm just at home in the office on my own and I'm around, say, Kieran, who's amazing, but not an entrepreneur, kids, they're kids, mm -hmm. they're not entrepreneurs. And you never have that, like, I don't know what how to, how to describe it, but it's just that energy flow between you and another person in that conversation. You don't get that. It's so underrated, just being able to communicate with like-minded individuals who... Yeah can even give you answers to questions that you've maybe had for a long time. And I think sometimes it's just about having that humble bar, humble pie of being willing to ask the right questions and not feeling stupid. Yeah. Because I think that's one of the big downfalls. Probably that, being humble and always staying humble and really being open to failure has been two of the biggest things. Even as simple as what you were speaking about then, when the internet connection on the Wi-Fi goes on a train mm -hmm. down to London, most people think, for fuck's sake, I can't do any work now. I can't do any emails. But yeah. you could... You could He's probably changed your direction and where you could spend time doing something which is bigger picture thinking, yeah. which will have more of an impact than you doing the emails and the admin stuff that you might have done on the way down there, yeah. which now opens up doors. The High Rocks thing that was born this year, that was only born out because we failed to land the two coaches that we'd aimed for. So we had okay. to change direction, which then ended up in a better campaign that I'd even planned for. Okay. Yeah, so always be positive and be open. All right. Um, Listen, guys, this is definitely going to be part one of a multiple part series. And I'm going to have to for the next one. I think this is for me, even listening to you and us talking is so useful. And I know there's so many pieces of advice that I would personally go back and listen to it two or three times. Not coming from me, mostly coming from you. Let's call it an 80-20 split. That's what? part of being a good interviewer, though, is pulling bits of information from yeah and you never know where it's going to go we spoke about this and i only launched the podcast and we're 12 episodes in and what i'm really enjoying is actually the evolution of the podcast i thought it would be just literally mapping out someone's story from 16 to where they're at but actually like with ben i really am interested myself to know the transition between working in the business and working as a ceo and actually it turns out that it's not the mechanics of you step one step two step three step four because that's not useful because you, you, no one else is you. Yeah, yeah. It's, are there some guiding principles there, which I'm gonna ask you about next, just to wrap them up into the top three, and then we'll stop, I promise. Is, are there guiding principles that people can apply, regardless of industry, stage, business, age, whatever, that will make them more successful? And I really think they are. What are your three keys to success that have made you so successful? in such a short space of time, because annoyingly, you're a lot younger than me. Uh, <laughs> Not that I look at it. <laughs> the stress has I've killed me. I've had a lot of Botox, yeah. Um, what are your three keys to success that people can take away if they were going to apply them as principles? To anything. Yeah. I think this is a, one that's spouted about a lot, but isn't always taken on board, which is to delegate early. Yeah. Even this morning, I said to you, I was on the Stairmaster. Yeah. I got my task delegated for the day with my... Oh, well, catching up with my team as well. Yeah. Um, and e even if you in a business where you don't have the resources to be able to employ a team, working with agencies, working with uh, people who are freelance yeah. to delegate Using, tasks. Like global offshore people. Yeah. Utilize, so you have more time 
to do the things that are important to you and the things that you're good at as well because yeah. you can step outside your skill set and just be terrible at doing the things. And I know you're really good as well at delegating, but then using a system like Asana, for example, to keep on top of the things that you've delegated, mm -hmm. not just giving it to someone so that you can forget yeah. about it. So that's important too. I think number two would be the, and I know this is super simple again, but the failure thing. Yeah. I always look at every, we have loads of failures each week, but I'll sit down with the fail that's just happened. Obviously look at the reasons why, but then I'll try and look forward in terms of, say it's like a spider diagram. I'll look at the failure as the middle point and look at the opportunities that then come off the failure. And that's yeah. how I find the High Rocks campaign. Because sometimes the actual failure can spark an idea in itself. Yeah. And we spoke about this yesterday. I've And everyone will learn far more from failure than they will from the successes because failures often leave evidence and traces that you can take into further ideas. And most of the, the good ideas and concepts that I've had have come off the back of failures. So I think it's very much the way that we view our failures can change the way that the future is directed by using yeah. those to put four. That could be the, the failure can be the campaign. Yeah, I love that. Like we, uh, we spoke about, I spoke at Performex and actually the, 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 the audience there were mostly businesses that were turning over say less than 10 K a month. Mm -hmm. And we don't typically work with those businesses. And so there was a failure in that we had nothing to offer people who wanted help. And also when we're pitching our services to businesses that don't have enough cash flow to afford them, we're getting no's because there's not physically a way that they can pay for it. Mm -hmm. And that made me sit down and say, because my goals are to impact more people and help, I want to develop something that I can deliver that adds massive value, but is at a cost point that allows me to deliver it and make some profit mm -hmm. so that then those businesses can grow into other services. Yeah. And that's off a failure ultimately, rather than just being closed off and saying, why am I getting everyone saying no to my proposals? You know, why am I even speaking at this event if the audience don't have businesses that are yeah. big enough to work with me? If you're genuinely trying to help people. Okay, number three. Last one would be, I've just been thinking about this, but I'm trying to think about how to communicate it. I think if you're saying second one, failure as well, it's also uh, not being fearful and putting yourself out there as one yeah. of your really, really important points. I suppose the, the one that we spoke about all the way through this pod podcast is knowing that bigger picture production. And what I mean by that, by that is, it doesn't always be needing to lead to something which is huge. I think a lot of people feel the pressure of being competitive and trying to build a million pound business or million pound profit when not every person needs that. Yeah. I think if you know where your materialistic set point is in life, that's helpful. And to knowing that who the people you want to help or service and knowing how many is important because there'll be a lot of PTs that will start straight away and they'll go from earning not a lot of money to having a lot of financial freedom. Yeah. And that for them is good enough and that is fine and they'll live a good life from it. Yeah. Same with people who operate other businesses. Taking the next step and wanting to go from like 100 grand's worth of profit to a million pounds worth of profit, there's a calculation that has to be done there of sacrifice, risk, reward, and stress. And what does it actually look like? And are yeah. you willing to go through it? Because like for me now, getting to a point where like I feel I've pretty much met my a lot of my materialistic set points of what yeah. I want to achieve. Yeah. The bigger picture now is adding value to people's lives and genuinely wanting to impact people's lives. Yeah. 
it's not like oh, I need this much more money to grow or scale yeah, this or, or buy this or buy the faster different... car or buy the bigger house. Yeah. So a lot of people scale for the sake of scaling, I feel. And if you don't have that bigger picture production of like where it's scaling to, you can just be scaling for no reason yeah. and adding some more stress for your plate for no apparent reason. I think a lot of people end up in that position where they're sacrificing more and more for less and less. Yeah, I mean, I always retell this story, but I tell it really badly. Uh, have you heard the one about the fisherman that's living on this paradise island? Is you, that the one I sent to you and Dan? Yeah. The Mexican fisherman. You want to tell it? It's a good place to end the pod. Do you want me to tell it? Yeah. Okay. I'll try Because I always ruin it. I'll try not butcher it because it is actually quite long. But this is really important. So just before this, I want to say that there are lots of business owners that make it and they get to 30, 40K a, a month, maybe online fitness coaches. And they think this is great. But what they fail to do by looking forward is say, also, what's the risk here? Is there a risk that the way I'm generating leads from my profile and looking great and all of that stuff, the algorithm changes and the leads stop flowing? Mm -hmm. They don't do any risk management. They don't look at the risks and try and put things in place to mitigate those risks. And I think that you would because you'd look forward and you'd say, well, what if this happens and what if that happens? Yeah. So if you are successful and you are happy with 30K a month as an online coach, you still have to say, what does it look like in 10 years? Mm -hmm. Do yeah. I want to be doing this? And what could happen within that period to, 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 to fail this business? And how do I put something in place to mitigate that risk? Yeah, and that's important because even with that scale, you can be wanting to scale and you end up lessering is that the right word okay. compromising with your service because you're trying to, to scale more and you forget about the, the how you got there in the first place yeah 100%. so the mexican fisherman is a tale of a guy who lived in a small village in mexico and there was a businessman from new york we'll say it's new york and he spoke to the mexican fisherman he asked him wh what he was doing mm. and he replied and just fishing to catch local to catch fish for my local village and provide my village with more fish. So the American said to him, well, what you could do is you could work and build up enough profit to be able to buy a second boat. And with that second boat, you could hire another person and you could bring in more fish. You could sell more fish to the village and make more profit. And the Mexican said, and then what? And then he said, well, you could buy a fleet of boats. You could hire more people. You could take the fleet of boats out, out to the sea bring in a bigger volume of fish and make more profit. The Mexican fisherman replied, and then what? And then the American replied, well, then we could start to sell the concept of the business to different villages around Mexico. You could have several fleets of boats, bringing in more fish, selling to more villages and making more profit. And then what, said the Mexican fisherman. Well, he said, well, then you could move to New York. You could set up offices there. You can manage the project from there. We could manage the fleets, not just within Mexico, but around America. We'll bring in more profit. And then we'd be able to sell it to the market eventually. So the Mexican fisherman says, and then what? Well, then we'd sell the business and you'd have millions of pounds in your bank and you'd be a happy man. And the Mexican says, well, then what? He said, well, the American said, you can retire. You could then sit on a little beach in your local village and just capture fish for the village. And the Mexican fisherman said nothing. It's full just circle. Just incredible. You really have to, guys, listen to that. It's one of the stories that's actually 
had some of the biggest impact on me. I think because it makes it real. It's so real. Like you have to be doing it for a purpose other than just material wealth. And you definitely tell that story way better I've, than I've me. I've probably butchered a little I've bit. I've got but... like goosebumps listening to that story. You can see them. Yeah, you can. It's it's so powerful, it's mate. It's so powerful. Do you know what I sometimes think about with that as well? Do you know when you're a young kid, all you do is play outside on fields and grass areas. Yeah. And all you do when you're, well, this is probably me being stereotypical, when you're elderly, all you're bothered about is spending time outside, walking, seeing family and being green spaces. Yeah. It's the bit in between that we spend so much time, energy and stress focusing on other things but it's so strange how the life cycle comes back around so when you're a kid you just want to be outside exploring and when you're an old adult you don't care about anything materialistic or financial you just care about being outside enjoying yourself and being healthy and no one spoke about this before so i think that's like so powerful that we're actually sat here not just speaking about how you can be more successful but really the number one message if you take anything is if you give yourself time and headspace and enjoy the journey, you'll end up being more successful anyway because mm-hmm. you're making decisions from a place of gratitude, happiness, and calm, not hustle. Yeah. Hustle, 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 and stress and pressure. Yeah. I think asking yourself how, how you can be happy is important, but also how can you if how can you be more useful is a is a good thing. How can you be a more useful human being to the to your family, friends, earth? Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, mate. Appreciate you having me on. Thank Thanks you for coming down. It has been an absolute pleasure. Cheers. I've drunk Cheers, my water. It's been another episode of Founder Stories, guys. I think you'll agree that today's was a special one. We'll see you back here for another episode soon.